All right, in the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Father, we give you thanks for today. Yeah, we know, Lord, that you have prepared something good for us, and we will receive of that. That which I have prepared today, Lord, is entering our hearts now in the name of Jesus. We receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding has been enlightened. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. We are causing the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. You are giving us direction. In Jesus' name. Can we declare that word, therefore? I want to let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm working in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you understand this, your portion today, give me another amen. Amen. Can I greet somebody on your left and your right as you sit down? Tell the person you are wise. You are blessed. Tell somebody you are blessed. You are blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. Revelation chapter 3, we are going to start from there again today. We know we have been looking at the letter the words of the Lord Jesus to the church. We are deriving what we need to know today from the things that he said to the churches that time. One key phrase that we have been seeing again and again is that he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please let me emphasize that again, what that means. Even though you are not in the church in Sardis, there are things to pick from there for your own life. Even though you are not currently in the church in Smyrna, there are things to pick from there for your own life. Even though you are not the church in Philadelphia, Ephesus, you know, you know, Laodicea, all of those things. In each of the letters, there is something to pick for your life. Last time I explained that what we are doing regularly as believers is to ensure that our lives conform with the written word of God. The spiritual man is not the person or the spiritual woman is not that fellow that knows how to hear the voice of the spirit. Is not the person that prays until he starts hearing things. The spiritual person is the fellow whose life is based upon the revealed word of God. That is, the fellow will not do anything that contradicts what God has written. And when he or she is praying, is to check whether the life is conformed with what God has revealed. The example I give then, and it's always a good example. Before I married, what did God say to me? That's not what the question the question is that when I needed to make a choice concerning a marriage partner, what were the things I was thinking about? It's not I prayed unto God, you know. See, let me just say it again. Many times, God doesn't need to talk because if we obey the things he has said, we will arrive at the decision anyway. That's all. So many times when I say he should talk, he doesn't want to. He says it's an unnecessary thing. I don't need to say anything to you more than what I have said to everybody. And we read from Psalm 119. He said he has given us his commandments that we might do what? Diligently apply his precepts to our lives. If we are diligent in the application of the precepts, we will discover his will without trying hard. Are you getting my point? 
if we are diligent in applying his precepts to our lives, we will discover his will without trying very hard. So that's what the spiritual person is. We have been seeing that again and again. So as believers, we are looking at these letters to ensure that whatever Jesus pointed out in there, we are corrected concerning them. That's our primary assignment. If Jesus says this is good, we hold on to it. If Jesus says this is bad, we make sure we pray those things out of our lives. We walk with the word of God on our lives. Those things vanish from our lives. That's what spirituality is. And I want, to, I want to emphasize to us again, these seven churches, what I think is that virtually every problem somebody may have is recorded inside them. Virtually every victory somebody will have is recorded inside them. That's why we need to look at them carefully. We apply them diligently. We go through them one by one, you know, step by step, line by line, looking at, don't say I'm not in church in studies. People have had arguments on, did this refer to specific churches or church ages? Of course, there were specific churches at that time. And of course, we can also apply them to different church ages. But what is most important is that the messages actually were to individuals to hearken, even though they were written to churches. You know, the way it's, when it's, that's, why he, that's what he meant when he said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? To who? No, not the church. To who? What did he say? The churches, that's it. He knows each individual can only be in one church. But he said, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The churches, all the churches, not just the one he's in. So, a person in the church in Laodicea those days, will take the letter to the church in Sardis and read it and judge himself and judge herself. The person in Sardis will take note concerning the things that the Lord said to the church in Laodicea. So all of us, therefore, it is irrelevant whether it was written to us or not. We have been instructed to take heed to the things that the Spirit is saying to the churches, all the churches. We must bear those things in mind. Now let's continue reading. Oh, before we continue reading, let me just say this again. Remember, there are different levels of judgment. The first and gentlest level is self-judgment. If we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, that is the first level is to be chastened by the Lord. That is the next level. That's not level two now. And the third, which is the bad level, is to not be judged with the world. And we don't want that. So if we want to avoid these things, we take our lives and judge them, judge our lives regularly. You take your life, look at your finances, judge your life with the word of God. What are, what's your goal in life? Judge it with the word of God. What's your vision in life? Judge it with the word of God. How do you relate with people? Judge it with the word of God. That way you will never enter into trouble. Are you getting my point? Yes. Many things that God will have wanted to teach you. Listen, you can pass through, you can miss many troubles in life just by paying attention to instructions. Don't wait to learn from your own mistakes. Learn from what God is saying to other people. I, I, I hope you're getting my point here. Don't wait to learn from your own mistakes. I've learned many things over the years from things I've done that I didn't do properly and had to make corrections. But in ministry, most of the things I've learned are from books, stories told by other people. When Robert Slayadon compiled the book, God's Generals, we read those things inside there. Kenegan will teach to ministers. We pay attention to those things. Very important we understand those points. That's how life is supposed to be lived as a child of God. If you want your life to have as little trouble as possible, then you must be one that is an ardent learner. Are you getting my point? Yes, Please, just by the way again, read Ken Hagin's stories. He gave gifts unto men. Read the stories. Plans, purposes, and pursuits. Read the stories. Read the things that these men... I like biographies of ministers. John Alexander Dawi, I read the story of his life. There are things he did. I told myself I must not do. 
He had to do them for many reasons. Partly because he didn't have people. In fact, when, when um, Gordon Lindsay was explaining, was trying to explain people should be, should be kind to him in judging him. He said, bear in mind that this man had nobody really to look up to. He brought the truth of divine healing, having learned it from nobody. He learned divine healing and began to minister divine health. He didn't know anybody before that I was doing it. And he was used, now listen to this, he was used to being opposed. So if you came to correct him, it was nothing new. You may say, this man does not listen to correction. If he listened to correction, he wouldn't have gone to where you met him, daddy, to be correcting him. I don't know whether you get my point. Because they told him God doesn't heal today as a regular clergyman. He did not listen to that correction. <laughs> I don't know whether you get my point. Because Lisa was explaining that. So understand why he was obstinate. Understand why he was difficult to correct. Because early in life, that was the only way he got by. Everybody told him, do it this way. He said, no, that's not what the word of God says. He does it another way. And it turns out to be right. And because of that, he's, you know, that is nature. It became somebody that you and I are talking about today. Now, why do you think he will just change his mind now? Because you disagree with him. People have been disagreeing with him for a long time. He was used to, if I had a backpack, they were arresting many times. He can go out to go and preach. He returns to prison instead of returning home. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So that's why he became like that. Because Lisa was explaining. But he still made his mistakes. I'm not saying that he was right. I believe that God allowed him to make some of those mistakes. Knowing that without us, he would not be made perfect. That's what the Bible says. So he did what he could do. God took him away at a particular point in time. It was quite early when he left. He was just about 60 years of age when the Lord took him away. People were devastated. But the story was written down. I have a few of his materials. I have that complete, well-researched volume of his life by uh, Gordon Lindsay, titled John Alexander Dowie. Robert Liadon wrote his own. I have a compilation of his sermons, Champions of the Faith. You know, those things are out there. Then you read all of those things and you tell yourself, where this man got to, we must go beyond that level. Are you getting my point? You know, Albert Einstein was a very, very intelligent and, you know, successful physicist. But without Isaac Newton and his contemporaries, there would have been no Albert Einstein. Are you getting my point? He came to step on the shoulders of those who came before him. So even though I may not do something that Dawi did, it's not because I'm better than Dawi, but because I saw the story of Dawi to read. There was no Dawi before Dawi, so Dawi could not read Dawi. So John Dawi made the mistakes because nobody made those mistakes before him. This man came after him. What is his name? Um, John G. Lake. He came after Dawi. With the same kind of power that Dawi used. He went beyond the level of Dawi. Then again, he died shortly, a few years after Dawi died. That is age-wise now, alright? Age-wise. He was, he was about 65. Now, why did John G. Lick die in his own time? That's my, my own estimation of it. Those men drove themselves hard. 30 straight years, men will hardly sleep. Ministering morning, afternoon, and night. And I'm talking about ministering in, you know, air-conditioned halls. Being moved from one meeting place to another, you know, in an air-conditioned car. Flying from one venue to another. No. It's going on horseback from one village to another. 
traveling weeks and months on ships to come from cross from one country to another. That's how they ministered. And this man ministered like that until he testified, he wore out, he wore out. With the kind of power of God manifesting in his life, he almost went blind. <laughs> Are you getting my point? A man that somebody came to him, pray for me. Because I'm sick. Arthritis crippled the man. He said, but let me warn you, I don't have any faith. And he laughed. He said, I have enough for two. That was Gilek. Gilek likes to do experiments. He will hear where courtes are gathered to show they have power. Say, if you have power, come and enroll. He will take a form and join too. You have spiritual power, me to have spiritual power. Literally, they brought sick people. Five. He went, I think somewhere in France. They brought reverend fathers. Alright? Who could, you know, had their own way of praying for healing. They brought occultists who had their ways of praying for healing. They had other people who had their, G, G, went there. He said, write my name, me to have something to say. They brought the five people. No faith at all. This was a demonstration, just a demonstration. Not a church meeting. He said, let me show you people that my, my God is alive. He prayed for the five people. Three got well on the spot. One recovered days later. Only one died. These were people who were terminally ill. They didn't bring people who had a headache. Who their nose had been running for two days. They don't know what's wrong. They, had people, they brought people that had no hope of living. And three got well on the spot. That was Gilek. Yet he got to a point in time. He too became very infirm. I don't need to tell you that, that we died in a wheelchair. I hope you're getting my point here. Listen, these people, now, I want to understand something here. They lived, they burnt out. They were not people who were sitting down playing. They wore themselves until they finished. When G. Lake was going to talk about Dawi, he would refer to him before too much work turned his head. Because Dawi was saying things that G. Lake could not repeat. These things are, they are blasphemous. So he said, please forgive him, it's too much work. Uh, read this, read this man's stories, you know, you know, <laughs> as an, oh, as a, as an infirm man sitting at home one day, a man came and dashed him $50. The money that he needed critically for himself. This man, with everything he had done, was flat broke. So he turned to the guy and said, my God will supply all your needs. That money needed it to pay mortgage on his house. That following week, that guy's uncle called him and paid the whole thing up for him. Did not know the prayer that we paid for him. I hope you are getting what I'm going to say here. Yes, Listen to me. <laughs> John G. Lake will tell you himself, it was too much work that almost wore him out. They died the time that people didn't expect them to die. They became ill, could not heal themselves. Are you getting my point here? So we learned from them. We're not better than them. But they left something for us to build upon. That's the point I'm making. They left something for us to build upon. When Gilek almost went blind, they were saying, I had to go and pray. The Lord now restored his sight. Please, follow me. Everything that they went through, I don't have time to be analyzing these men's lives now. They've been analyzed for us. I've learned my lessons from them. I've learned my lessons. There are more to learn. I keep on reading, going back to those things. One of the things I learned from Gilek, there are many things I learned from someone like Gilek. I've realized that, in fact, a man who took over from him, what is his name, Corey Blake. Corey Blake said he does not believe in sleeping. His phone number is on his website. Anybody can call him from anywhere around the world. He picks the phone at any point in time. I said, bros, you're on your own. 
I have realized, say, Oga, call it Blake. This was what killed the Oga. I mean, there's no point. Even Jesus used to sleep. You don't know that? And he was not planning to live long. The plan from the beginning is that I will not live long. <laughs> and he used to sleep. When he sent the disciples out, those men were so excited. I saw the excitement of the disciples in these men also. And you may have had such excitement in your life. His men were so excited when they came back. They said, where is the next place to go? Why? Believe me, when you see demons jump out, you want more demons to come. When you see the lame walk, the blind see, the dead raised, you won't want to sleep, trust me. Why will you sleep? You start saying things like, souls are perishing, why should I be sleeping? <laughs> People are falling sick, why should I be sleeping? Now with all that excitement in their souls, Jesus looked at them, you know what he said? Come aside and rest for a while. Can they again taught us later? Say, always make sure you rest. And he had the rule. He's late now. But at least he was almost 90 when he died. He was 88. He had the rule. Saying between services, he lies down. 8 o'clock service, 12 o'clock service, 4 o'clock service. No problem. He will do all of them. Once 8 o'clock service is over, he has gone to his hotel room to go and lie down. He won't pray for you when he's tired. Can he get his rule? If he's tired, he's not talking to you. When he ministers for some time, he'll carry chair, give him him, he will sit down. If he looks at the list of people to pray for, they are so long, he, he sits. I'm not standing. You're getting my point? There's a collection of his messages we listen to, talking to preachers. And he told preachers, you can't just be driving yourself on like that as if you're not made of flesh. So some preachers pray, pray the one that I said, some pastors, they, they carry everybody's trouble on their head. So they did not become old. So you see a 40-year-old pastor, his body functions like, function like that somebody who is 85. Why? Because he has donated his life to all the church members. All the church members, Naomi Wahala, was going to kill Moses, you know that? Until God sent Jethro to him. We learned all of those things. So when Karibli came and said that he doesn't sleep, I said, that's your problem. I sleep. I do. December, that's why you invite me to come and preach in December, I won't answer you. Said so people are going to hell, you are going to rest. <laughs> More will go to hell if I don't rest. So I know what I'm telling you. It's not because we are wise, it's because we have seen other people that went ahead of us. Are you getting my point? I'm not going to break down first before I realize I need to take a rest. They had to ship G Lake away from Spokane, Washington to Houston to go and rest for I forgot how many years. After 30 grilling years. Eventually, the land had to enjoy its Sabbath. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Until the land enjoyed its Sabbath, his flesh had to enjoy rest. That's what I'm talking about. So we learn those things. In everything you do, learn. You reduce the amount of affliction you have to pass through. Listen now for correction. Don't learn only from your own mistakes. Learn from the mistakes of those who have gone ahead of you. The more you read, the less you suffer. Are you getting my point? The, look, the more you read, the less you suffer. When I'm talking about reading now, reading other people's experiences, those who have worked with God, I don't mean you go and read uh, Bill Gates and uh, what is his name? Apple. Warren Buffett, Jack Welch, 
Steve Jobs, that's not what I mean. I mean David in the Bible. I mean Solomon. That's what I'm talking about. I mean Kenneth Hagin. David Oyedeko. Algie Lutono. Larry Bucket. People that have the testimony of Jesus. That's the point I'm talking about. I don't mean you go and, go and read there. You know, this is where we, we, Christian book, bookshops used to be Christian bookshops. They now become Christian bookstroke business shop. So we mix the two. Motivational speaking. Self-empowerment. Life coaching. No, so. I'm not talking about that. Because many people that you see that succeeded in life, the Bible says that they themselves, they don't know how. They don't know how it happened. So I'm talking about reading spiritually inspired writings. Things that will help you become what the Lord Jesus wants you to be. Not what the world wants you to be. Don't let anybody deceive you. They don't know the principles of business success. Recently I saw another article that says, don't try to, that, that how, did the, how did the man head it now? So, anyway, the man will say that if you want to succeed, don't do like Bill Gates. That's the title. That's the title. Of, and this is not, the, I, I saw that, that uh, article on BBC, bbc.com. So it's not like it's a church article. So if you want to succeed in life, don't do like Bill Gates. Now, we were trying to explain a point. That Bill Gates dropped out of school is not the normal way to succeed. Though. That there are many things that help Bill Gates, which is not in your life. So don't try and be like Bill Gates. He didn't write from a spiritual perspective, but I like some, I just picked up that thing. It's going to be in our magazine. We just caught a bit of it for people to realize that carrying the book by Bill Gates and trying to follow him. You're just wasting your time. Success is always what? A gift of God. The people that have it, many times they don't know how. There are people that God is doing something for. They don't know why he's doing it for them. They will tell you what they think, but they don't know the real reason why. The law of life is when did we see you and we helped you. That's the law of life. When Jesus said, come into the joy of the Lord. Why? Because I was hungry, you fed me. They were surprised. Ah, have we met before? When did we feed you? When did we see you hungry? That was the question. The question was not, uh, yes, that day I remember, I saw you somewhere. So how come you are just paying us now? No. They were surprised. That is, if you see many people who are succeeding in life, it is not what they are claiming is the source of the success. That is the source of the success. It's something else. They don't know. That is why the word of God remains defined. Look, just take, stay there. Stay there. Learn it. Follow it. Obey it. No guarantees of success because you're obeying it. In quote. Now, please get my point. You will succeed in obeying God. I don't know what the hell I said. You will succeed in obeying God. You will succeed in what is doing right. By the commandment of God, that should satisfy you. The fact that you have obeyed him and you have done what is right. As per, will my company be worth $100 million? It's not guaranteed from that. That's why it's not a request we make. We'll not go to him and say, Lord, oh, that you will bless me indeed. Lord, you will expand my coast. Please, make my name great. Keep me from trouble. Don't let it come to me. Say that sincerely. Asking God, I just say, why are you asking? Where else will I go? You are my father. 
Who else will I ask for? Ask from? That's it. Then he blesses you. But if you are a child of God, ever think you have learned all the principles and all the keys, you will have the right key only to discover that the door jammed long ago. The key is correct, but the door don't jam. So we don't hang on those keys. We just keep on learning what is right because those things are right. So we let no. If, oh, Lord, help me to speak this thing. A major problem in today's Christianity is, is that people make an idol of success. They buy Bill Gates' book, looking for the keys to become a man worth fifty billion dollars. $60 billion. They back Mark Zuckerberg's story, looking for the key to be a billionaire before they are 30. Are you getting my point? They read story. Let's even come to the Bible. They read David's story, looking for the key to becoming a king and knocking off that wicked boss of yours. As they are reading the key in the story, they now say, you will not kill Saul. So if you want to increase in life, don't kill Saul. Though. They hate Saul and they want to kill Saul. They have no respect for Saul's anointing. But it's just that we are plotting to hit the throne at the age of 30. So we are going to leave Saul alone. That is, they are not reading the stories for the sake of righteousness. You see, but what do we get from it? What are the principles of having a church that has the largest number? One million man church. We go to South Korea. And you can use the principles of pastoring Korean people to pastor Biafran people. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know how you expect it to work. Of course it's not going to work. In case you did not notice, Koreans are not black. They don't live in Africa. It's not, look, so that's, we make an, listen, and that is what the Jezebel spirit is when we make an idol of success. I was talking to one man. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle this, but let me just say it first. You know, I was not around on Tuesday. I went to I was praying. I went to preach. So one of the other ministers there. I mentioned, I said, "Sir, do you know Susan and so preacher?" He said, "Yes, I do." He told me a few things. I said, "But the fellow preaches some funny doctrines. I, I need to know, all right." I said, this fellow preached some odd things. You know what he said? Don't mind him. He said it's not correct. We scattered, we laughed at there. Now, that's not the gist. The gist is that, he said, oh, I know. He said, but if you had known this fellow before, you would have known somebody who loved the Lord. Who moved people when, you know, under the anointing, when it's time to minister. He said, but some people now came and introduced him to money. He said, money is the problem. He said, once some people brought in money, we have to make money, we have to succeed. My wife was there. I said, baby, I told you. When you see, you know, there's what the Bible calls the madness of the prophet. When prophets begin Christ, there are no two reasons. Well, okay. One major reason is money. It is when, they have, when money has been placed in front of them, they can't see straight again. They start hearing God from every angle. Thus says the Lord, it shall come to pass that the Lord shall say thus. 
They said, no, no, he didn't say that one. He said, how much did you say you needed? The Lord said, this time next week, anybody who was put a special seed, the Lord, when I was coming, the Lord said, there will be five people here who are giving one, one million. And those people, he is going to build a house of 17 stories for each one of them within 17 months. And those 17 people are good, they are here. I mean, is that five? five? Okay, yes, now they are 17. No. And as you are bringing the money, I will wash your hand with oil. One, throw the oil for ground. You will stand on it as I begin to pray. We don't even know which one is the diversity of manifestations. The one, because there are true manifestations that may look like that. We don't know, we don't know the one that is now diversity of madness. But when you see prophets begin go mental, it's always because somebody has placed something else in front of them apart from the Lord Jesus. The Lord is good. So that's what we do. Making sure that we conform ourselves. And that's what we've been reading. Alright, let's just go back to reading now. Last time I looked at this issue of the angel, in, uh, the, the church in Sardis. So the angel of the church in Sardis writes, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds and that you have a name that you are alive but actually you are dead. In verse 2 it says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at which, at what hour I will come to you. But I have, he said, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 6 is always very important to read. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is very important. We read this last time. Let me just review a few things about it and continue to develop some things. We read the whole of chapter 3, but last time we were talking the, church, the letter to the church in Sardis. We were talking this one, um, that is this uh, first portion to the church in Sardis. Now, please, let me just say one thing I said before, then I will bring out a few things here. The summary of what the Lord was saying about it to the church in Sardis at the beginning is that their focus was on external things, not on internal things. Their focus was on their reputation. Their focus was on their church number. Hey, you. Their focus was on the amount of tithes and offerings for promotion. You see why I'm pointing at him? He has suffered all these things. <laughs> so I know why I'm pointing at him. The focus was, listen, because I know some of our churches, you get promoted based on the amount of tithes and offerings you collected in your branch. Am I lying? Say it loud so that you know I'm not lying now. <laughs> that was the problem in the church in Sardis. Too much emphasis on outward things. Their focus was on external things. As long as the outward things were okay, they felt everything was alright. And we talked about that extensively. And I said, look, make it a habit to look at the things that are inside. Last time I used business as an example. Make sure you know the condition of your flock. Because a business can be thriving apparently outside, but in reality, if you do your accounting properly, you realize it is dying. If you are a minister, bear that in mind also. 
You don't check the number of your congregation to decide whether you are succeeding or you are not succeeding. There are other parameters. When Jesus, you must understand, when Jesus taught the hardest, the toughest doctrine that he needed to teach, the church whistled down, you know, everybody disappeared. It remained only Peter and his colleagues. The watrier your message, now I don't mean this to insult anybody, it's a matter of fact. The larger the congregation. I have observed this over time. When churches become very, very, very large, if you are there to hear the deep word of God, it starts becoming more difficult to find it. Unless the pastor is careful, to, and that's what Jesus used to do. When the congregation will be large, he will tell stories, excite everybody. The soil went forth to sow. Mm-hmm. Some of them fell by the wayside. 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 <laughs> and the birds of the air came and ate them up. Birds, birds, birds. And Peter was looking at Jesus. He could not believe his eyes. <laughs> when he finished all of that, the disciples now came up to him and said, why are you talking to them? There was disciples and there was a multitude did them. Why were you talking to them like that? He said, ah, they didn't come to hear anything serious. That's what he said. They came for miracles, free food, and crowd effect. Which is why churches are full every Sunday. He said, Isaiah said, Jesus was speaking. He said, Isaiah said, they will hear, they will not understand. They will see, they will not perceive. He said, in them, that scripture is fulfilled. He said, but unto you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. It wasn't the multitude. So you have to be careful when you are judging how successful your church is. Where the fastest growing church has no meaning. In fact, it's a satanic inclination to be counting the, you know, the rate at which your number is growing as to put yourself on a particular you know, level in life. You don't do that. Where our building is the finest, has no meaning. These are the sadic, it's not church, it's sadic. These are the sadic principles of life. A reputation that you are alive. You're always doing programs. You're always up to something. Go and read the story I told last time about the Aaron in America. They had a reputation that they were alive, but actually they were dead. Reputation must not matter to you. What is important is reality. Okay? We talked about that extensively last time. Now I want to continue again and bring out a few issues. One thing I want to bring out, I was studying this, and I realized that there was something that the Lord was doing all of it. And please try and follow me closely here because this is kind of frightening. Every time you see a promise, you know David kept on saying something. Revive me according to your word. Now that tells me something, and those are prophetic psalms, that some of those revivals according to the word don't just come automatically. You're getting my point? That was why it had to become a prayer point. They didn't just come automatically. The promises of God, it, it looks like they have to be act, not it looks like they have to be activated. So when Jesus will say something, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will do it for you. Now, please, I'm not trying to take away faith from you. That's a promise. Now, even before I go into that's a promise, I want to understand something here. 
And you must always get the context when the Lord Jesus will speak or when the Bible talks. You've heard this one before. This is my example there. Say, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and does not doubt. We sometimes say it is whoever, anybody ever. I say, but you forget one thing. When you were in secondary school, they told you, give the context of the following. Did you ever read Bible knowledge? Christian religious knowledge? If you did Bible knowledge, put up your hand. Say amen. amen. No, no, please put down your hands. You didn't get my question. If you did Bible knowledge, BK in secondary school, put up your hand. What is, what is, human beings, please answer my question. If you did Bible knowledge, call BK in secondary school, please put up your hand. If you did BK, if you did not do BK, whether it is Jesus' religious knowledge, once it is not BK, don't put up your hand. I want to go over it again. If you were in school, you went to do WASC, or you were in secondary school, and one of the subjects you did was spelled B-I-B-L-E, knowledge. <laughs> Bible knowledge. Please put up your hand. Okay. Now, please keep that hand up. Amongst those whose hands are up, if you think I'm talking about CRK, please put up your hand, put down your hand. Good, thank you. That's more like it. Thank you very much, sir. I wanted to separate the men from the boys. <laughs> now, if you did CRK, put up your hand. <laughs> All the hands will go up. Okay, don't mind all these people. We are talking about those who did BK. They are talking about this. Uh, all these watered-down things. Christian, Christian religious knowledge. Rubbish. We did what? Bible knowledge. Thank you. <laughs> they were correcting me. Is the okay? Yes, now when you went there, it was the okay. When we were doing it. In case you don't, that was 1979. Show some respect. <laughs> 1980. 81. 82. No, no, 82 I stopped. But that time we had gotten to the senior classes. We now stopped with our sciences. I know when I'm going out, some of people will bring out two hands to greet me. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> now, those are the days of Bible knowledge and CRK. They will tell you, give the context of the following. And then answer the questions that follow. Thou shalt not touch the Lord's anointed. Something like they now say, who said it? To whom? On what occasion? Well, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed. And be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things he said will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. Who said it? To whom? And on what occasion? You must always bet, look, it's important. Without those things, you don't understand what you're, what you're reading. You must understand how it is said. When Jesus said those things, he was talking to the disciples. These were statements he never made to Pharisees. He didn't tell them to the Pharisee, if you shall sit to this mountain. Pharisee. Say what to who? He was teaching Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and the other people that followed him closely. That guys, if you, not the Pharisee, not the Sadducee, if you shall say to this mountain, 
The other people couldn't just say anything they liked. Because he understood that without faith in the heart, being stirred up by a walk with God, you can't say anything. And it will come to pass. That's why the Bible says, who is it that says a thing and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Which means disciples walk so closely with the Lord, by the time they are speaking, they are only speaking what the Lord has commanded. And somebody on the earth is echoing. Many times they don't even realize the Lord overtly commanded. It's just that they have so walked with him, the passion of God is not their passion. What fills the heart of God fills their heart. So it erupts in words. And it's exactly what God has said in heaven. Careful when you are, you know, using the promises. That's what I said last time. That don't apply divine precepts to unbelievers. That's Christian precepts. Precepts of Christ. There are laws, principles God has given us. is for believers because it requires grace to activate those things. It requires grace. Now, the reason I'm saying all of these things, I read the Bible, and I found out that there are a lot of things we take for granted. But once you read the other portions, you now see that, no, it's not always like that. There's, there are qualifications because some, before some things become real totally in your life. Now, look at this portion now. You know what he said here? He was talking about people overcoming, and when you go through this, you see again and again, the Lord will come with the story of whoever overcomes, the person who overcomes. Here he says, wake up. Now, let me just jump down to an area, all right? But you have a few people inside this who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That is, to walk with Jesus in white, your garment must be clean. What soils the garments? Very important question. Garments are soiled by relationship with the world. Now, when he says... That they will walk with me. It shows that it's not just the fact that they call themselves Christians. That they can walk with him. I don't know whether I get my point. I was listening to a man of God this morning. Early in the morning, I was listening to a message. And he was addressing this issue of uh, once saved, always saved. He made a statement. He just quoted something that, what kind of grace are you talking about? That... A young woman lived a, you know, a licentious life and all of that and then died one day. And somebody was saying that, 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 that she saved. He said, why? He said, because at the age of nine, she answered an altar call and gave her life to Christ. I never lived as a Christian since the time she was a teenager until she died in her 20s. No. He said, but she saved. Why? Because she was once saved. <laughs> the man said, that is total rubbish. And, and I believe it totally. That's total what? rubbish. Don't believe it is a lie. Now, the fact that somebody just calls himself or herself a Christian is not what makes the person a Christian. The fact that somebody says, I gave my life to Christ 15 years ago is not what makes the fellow a Christian. There's not everybody that says he's a Christian that can walk with the Lord Jesus, as you can see here. He said himself, he said, this person will do what? Will walk with me Wearing white. Which verse is that? Verse 4. You have a few people inside this who have not sold their garments. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now the question is this. Now because of time I'm going to be a bit quick. And we have discussed some, things, some of these things before. What does it mean to walk with the Lord in white? I'll come back to it. But let me just read the other portion. He now said, verse 5. 
He overcomes with us be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And that's one thing I want you to understand here. What does it mean to be created in white? As we said, it implies that the person has spiritual authority. How do I know? Because you read further down in, uh, I think, further down in that book of Revelations, there's something you will find. It was talking about the elders. That's in, um, oh, I think around chapter, I think chapter 4. All right, let me see what is there, if I got it right. Yes, chapter 4, verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. What's the next line? Let me hear you. Clothed in white garments. They were seated on thrones, elders, clothed in what? White garments. Now, you see another thing. Let me just continue explaining. He also said something here. And what will I do for these people? Verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. And I will confess his name. Whoever overcomes will be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father. And before his holy angels. Now I thought about this one very seriously. Please, I want you to understand this here. You know, when I got to Asaba on Monday. What I preached that morning was simple. That we are, I've preached here many times. That it's time for serious Christianity. I said it is time for what? Serious Christianity. Serious Christianity. People taking the Lord very seriously. People realizing that, listen, Jesus prefers no church to a lukewarm church. We'll get to that later. The idea of many churches, even though they are not good, is better than no church at all. Jesus doesn't think so. You are the one that thinks so. We are the one that thinks so. He never thought so. His own is that it's either you are hot or you're not there at all, cold. But this halfway thing, it irritates me. Now, this is what I mean by serious Christianity. Now, you see here what Jesus is saying here? That some people... All right? Keep their garments clean. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, they are their garments. How your own portion of it. He said, a white garment is a sign of what? The righteous acts of the saints. The outward righteousness is what they call white garments. This doctrine of righteousness is only of the heart. God doesn't understand it. Paul did not preach it. What they preached, what Paul preached, what Jesus is teaching us is that righteousness starts from the heart. But there's what the Bible calls perfection of things. For example, he say, we, talking about the former prophets, them without us will not be made perfect. That is, everything they prophesied is nothing except it comes to pass in our lives. What the Bible calls perfection does not mean everything is totally correct, nothing is wrong. What it means is that that which is deep inside it comes out in reality. That righteousness that is inside must be perfected outside. The righteousness that begins in the heart and stays in the heart is not of God. I don't know whether you get the point there. No, open to it. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 19. Oh, very important we get these points. Let me just read this quickly. 
from verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Are you noticing that? That is, the clothes, the clothes on our body, all right, is the righteous acts that we do. That's why um, um, John will say, John the Baptist, he will tell you to bear fruit in keeping with what? Righteousness. In keeping with repentance, thank you. There must be outward fruit to show that righteousness is in the heart. The doctrine that says righteousness in the heart and that's all that matters is a lie. It's not the doctrine of grace. We'll talk about grace after when we finish with this. Grace does not mean I do what I like. Grace means I have the power to do what is right. Are you getting my point here? That's what grace means. Grace does not mean anything I do is right. After I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No, grace means no matter the temptations around, I have the power to do right. Let me give you a few examples of grace in the Bible. Don't pray for 30 days to any other God apart from the king. Daniel went and prayed. He couldn't stop himself from praying. I say it jokingly like this. That when they said nobody should pray, Daniel went to pray about it. <laughs> I don't know why you get my point. They said, Lord, oh, I just came to tell you that they said nobody should pray. They said, you are praying. No, I'm just reporting what happened to the Lord. That his righteous praying was such much a part of him that a man had started disobeying the law of the king while obeying his the law of God that was inside his heart. That's grace. What is grace? Azariah, Mishael, and Ananiah. That's Shedra, Meshach, and Abednego. 